Okay, so the text that we're using to, to, for the series, but it may not be the text that we're in every week, but the text we're using to launch the series is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. The Bible says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Now listen, we're not used to having temples in our country. We just don't really have that. But all throughout history, they would have temples to, uh, to deities. Uh, the temple of Artemis, the temple of Jupiter, the temple of Zeus, the temple of, uh, of, of, uh, of God uh, um, in, in Jerusalem. So they were physical structures that would house the idols or uh, even uh, the Israelites had the temple of God that was in Jerusalem that, that uh, hosted the presence of the Lord. But today in the scriptures, what God says is that we, the people of God, we are the temple of the living God. Turn to somebody on your left and your right and recognize that they too are part of the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them. He's talking about the world, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So in the, in the following weeks, we began last week, we're going to continue to attempt to gain an overview, a very cursory glance. Uh, you could write volumes and volumes on each and one of these topics on the work of the Holy Spirit and try to get a, a better grasp of what kinds of activities have been especially delegated to the Spirit by God the Father and God the Son. We may define the work of the Spirit as follows. The work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. This definition indicates that the Holy Spirit is the member of the Trinity whom the Scripture most often represents as being present to do God's work in the world. Although this is true to some extent throughout the Bible, it's particularly true in the New Covenant age. In the Old Testament, the presence of God was many times manifested in the glory of God and in theophanies, and in the Gospels, Jesus himself manifested the presence of God among men. If you remember, he said, uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, John 1 and 1, and 1 and 14, and the Word became flesh. We're talking about Jesus, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But after Jesus ascended into heaven and continuing through the entire church age, Jesus said, it's expedient for you that I go away. Why? Because when he goes up, the Holy Spirit came down. The Holy Spirit is now the primary manifestation of the presence of the Trinity among us. He is the one who is most prominently with us now. Even in the Old Testament, it was predicted that the presence of the Holy Spirit would bring abundant blessings from God. Isaiah 44 and 3, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, and I will pour my Spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Several prophecies in the Old Testament predicted a time when the Holy Spirit would come in greater fullness, a time when God would make a new covenant with his people. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 28 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. 
Now, in what specific ways does the Holy Spirit bring God's blessing? As we saw last week, we touched on the the topic, the Holy Spirit indwells. In the next few weeks, we're going to look at the topics, the Holy Spirit purifies, the Holy Spirit unifies, the Holy Spirit infills, and the Holy Spirit empowers. Underneath that empowering, we're going to deal with three of the gifts of the Spirit uh, um, as described in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 at a time, uh, the revelation gifts, the power gifts, and the utterance gifts or the vocal gifts. And so that's where we're going in the next few weeks. Today, we want to look at the topic, the Holy Spirit purifies. Now, one of the things I want to uh, just say uh, right offhand is that we're particularly looking at the work of the Holy Spirit. All right, so sanctification is a product, uh, uh, is a topic touched all throughout the Bible, but uh, there's so many scriptures that I could bring out and so much teaching you could do on the topic. Sanctification uh, uh, just actually means to be set apart. You're set apart from the world and you're set apart to God. But the work of the Holy Spirit is kind of what we want to touch on today. And again, I had to limit it because you can't really deal with it in full in uh, basically 30 minutes on Sunday morning. So we're going to do the best that we can, just kind of touch on this topic. The Holy Spirit purifies. As you remember, we had 2 Corinthians 6, 16 through 18. We're the temple of God. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Since this member of the Trinity is called the Holy Spirit, it's not surprising to find that one of his primary activities is to cleanse us from sin and to sanctify us or make us more holy in our life or the conduct that we have in life. Even in the lives of unbelievers, there is some restraining influence of the Holy Spirit as he convicts the world of sin. John 16, 8 through 11, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. In Acts 7, 51 through 53, it says, you stiff-necked people, I'm not talking to y'all, <laughs> just quoting scripture, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they kill those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit purification, one of the synonyms that we're going to use is the word sanctification. I already told you what that means. It means to be set apart, to set apart from the world, to be set apart to God. Another synonym that we'll use is the word holiness. Holiness basically is describing the same thing, to be set apart, to be other, uh, totally other. God is considered holy. Uh, he's other than us. He's, he's um, trying to find the exact phrase that, that we normally use, but it just means holy other. Okay, so uh, what we're going to look at when we're looking this morning, the Holy Spirit purifies. I'm going to touch on a couple of topics. I'm going to talk. I'm going to use the word san- uh, sanctification, but there's two parts to sanctification we want to look at. There is instantaneous sanctification, and there is progressive sanctification. Instantaneous means that which happens immediately. Progressive means that which takes place over time. All right? Sanctification is the fancy word for purification. It literally means, as we said, to be set apart. We're set apart from the world. 
we're set apart to God. Sanctification is both instantaneous. It's an instantaneous work of God as we get saved, but it's also progressive, something that we cooperate with the Holy Spirit over the lives of, of, of uh, our, our earthly life as we walk with God, as we cooperate we, with God, and we obey Him and do what He asks us to do more and more. We should find that our lives become, uh, to lack of a better word, purer and purer. We become more and more holy. Amen? Now, holiness does not mean well, the way we've defined it to mean in religious circles, that you put your hair in a bun, that you um, basically don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't date girls who do. That's not what it means, right? It can be a reflection of that, but that's not necessarily what it means. What we're talking about is a work in our character and work in the way we live our lives. Because you cannot smoke and still cuss like a sailor. Right? You cannot chew and still date girls who do. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's, it's more than following a list of rules. It's our lives becoming more and more like the one whom we love, all right? So uh, when people become Christians, the Holy Spirit does an initial cleansing work in his people, making a decisive break with the patterns of sin that were in our lives before. Paul says of the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6 and 11, and such were some of you, talking about their lives beforehand, but you were washed you were sanctified, which means you were set apart. You were justified, which means you were declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That happened when they got saved. Titus 3, 5, and 7 says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So basically what happened was, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we are new creations in Christ. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Whenever we called upon the Lord, we recognized that we were lost. We recognized that we were in sin. We were separated from God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, we missed, uh, uh, we missed the mark. That's what the word sin is. We don't measure up. And basically, all religions throughout the world are trying to find a way for us to be able to measure up. But Christianity is a little bit different. God recognizes that we don't measure up, and so he made a way for us to be able to stand uh, before God by not the work that we do, but the work that he did. For by grace have you been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Listen, I've had the opportunity to go down to uh, uh, different places. Uh, I remember going down not too long ago. I went down to Mexico, and when I was in Mexico, there was one particular Catholic church. A nice place to go visit. It was, uh, it was the, uh, the place where everybody would go throughout the region, but one of the things that you find that what people would do is they would make uh, promises to the Virgin Mary. They would make promises to God that if they would do something in their lives, um, you know, they would serve them, and what they would do to show their commitment is they would would walk on their knees for miles or, or they would do certain amount of works thinking that the works would somehow ingratiate God toward them. 
and in some ways we sort of have that mentality the better you are the more favor that God will show you and that's not true we all fall short it's kind of like if I if this chasm uh, um, let's just say from uh, uh, from that wall to that wall is a chasm all right and there's no way there's no person on earth that can jump that chasm to the other chasm it's impossible so it doesn't matter if you jump three feet or you jump six feet or you jump nine feet you're always going to fall short some people appear to be better than others but they fall short some people appear to be better than others but in the long run they all fall short I used to I, I like to 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 use this example uh, one of the things I began to realize I didn't grow up in church I don't know if y'all know this. I mean, I'm not sound, but I didn't grow up in church. I didn't get saved. I didn't give my life to the Lord until I was 21 years old, right? And so one of the things I, I began to realize um, as, I, as I think about things is this word good. People always say, well, I'm more good than them. Or if we use a, a, a language like this, I'm gooder than they are. I, mean, I know that's not good language, but that's basically how we think, right? And so if I'm better than them, God's going to show me favor, right, because I do better than them, right? And one of the things I began to realize is that, to be honest with you, I've been around church people a lot. And some people out in the world, I'm going to be honest with you, are more good than church people. I love you, but I'm going to tell you the truth. <laughs> Please don't tell me the truth. Tell somebody else the truth. Okay, it doesn't apply to anybody in here. It applies to all those out there, right? They're more, they, they live better lives than some church people. But, and we begin to think, well, aren't they going to go to heaven? No, because it's not about being good. It's about being righteous. To be righteous is not something that you can earn on your own. It's something that God gives you on behalf of the cross of Calvary and what Jesus did on the cross when we, by faith, accept the work that he did. So you can be out in the world and be a better person than somebody in church, but you're still lost. Or you can be in church and be worse off, I mean, the way you live, worse off than somebody that's out there in the world. And I'm not talking about you, you come to church because you can be in church and be just as lost as somebody out there in the world. But what I'm saying is you can be saved, you can give your life to God, and in your process of living out life, if you were to measure up against somebody out there in the world, you might not be as good as they are, but you're washed by the blood of Jesus. You're, 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 you have been made and declared righteous by God. You're a new creation in Christ. Now, the hope is, and unfortunately, I've been in church for a long time. It's not always the case. The hope is that at some point, we will be a reflection of the Lord. And when people meet church people, they won't say, man, those church people, I don't ever want to serve them. I don't want to be around them. They're some of the meanest, most cantankerous, most uh, stingy, most... Uh, I don't want that to happen. I want them to say, I don't know what it is about your life, but there's something about you that I want. There's something in your life. And you know what, the, what, that, what, what, is, what we're talking about is that over a process of time, we become a reflection of the Lord. We shall see him as he is, can be taken as, as uh, one day, you know, I'm going to be in heaven, or hopefully I'm becoming more and more like him. And so when people see us, they don't see people that go to church, but they still cheat on their taxes, and they still sleep around, and they still drink, and they do all these kind of things. And again, it's not about drinking, smoking, it's not about that, all right? 
Or, you know, we don't want to see the church crowd come into the restaurants on Sunday afternoon because they're the worst tippers there is and they're the meanest people there is. That's got to go. We got to become more like Jesus. At some point, as we become more like him and we allow the Lord to do the work in our lives, then instead of Christianity being known for dividing, we have First Baptist, Second Baptist, Third Baptist, Fourth Baptist. Why? Because they keep dividing. It's like that, that, that I think I've already told it to you guys, that guy that was, on a, that, was, that was on a desert island. Did I tell you that one already? I know I've told some of you out there. I don't know if I told you in here. There was a guy on a desert island. I did tell you. You hadn't heard it? All right. There was a guy that was stranded on a desert island for 10 years. He, thought, he never thought he was going to get off, but never lost hope that he would get off, and so he just did what he needed to do to be able to get off. 10 years later, finally, a boat comes by, sees the SOS thing that he put out there on the beach, and uh, they send a, a, a life, uh, one of those, uh, uh, you know, their, uh, what do you call it, rowboat out there to uh, check on what's going on over there. They meet this man on the beach, and, and they said, hey, how long you been here? He said, man, I've been here in 10 years, but I've been trying to, I've been trying to get attention of people on this island for, um, from off this island forever, and you're the first person that, that came. And he said, well, what have you done for these 10 years? Oh, I just tried to make a life for myself and try to do the best that I can. And they noticed off in the distance there was three huts. And he said, well, why do you have three huts? Aren't you the only one on the island? He said, yeah, yeah, I am, but I have three huts. He said, this one over here, this first one, that's where I live. I said, okay, well, that makes sense, but what are the other two huts for? Well, the second one, he said, that's where I go to church. And what's this other third hut over here? Well, so I don't want to talk about that. That's where I used to go to church. Even on a desert island, when there's one person, there seems to be division in the church. Anyway, we got to get out. We got to get away from that, right? I think Paul talks in the book of Corinthians. I'm, I'm going on the rabbit trail. But it's okay. It, it's gonna it's gonna work out in the end. He says he said you go to court, Christians sue Christians, and you go to court. He said shouldn't you rather uh, 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 forgive or let go on, and, instead of taking each other to court and and just just uh, forgive the debt? But we don't do that. Why? Because we still have the world in us. We still have that that Jesus said turn the other cheek. If somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn the other. And you know we do that, but sometimes we do this while we're doing it. <laughs> All right. So anyway, let's get back. Let's get back to where Titus 3, 5 through 7. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. When we got saved, we're new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. God did a work of forgiveness and a work of cleansing in our lives. And now the Holy Spirit could come into a holy temple. However, we don't necessarily think holy. We don't necessarily live holy. We have a process of learning how to walk in a manner worthy of that which we've been called, worthy of the calling to which we've been called to. And we've got to learn how to do that. How do we do that? By the washing of, uh, I forgot, the wa washing of regeneration of the water. Uh, uh, yeah, whatever he said. I know it this way. Be not conformed, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And uh, the, the verse right before that, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God. It doesn't say, I beseech you therefore, world. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. And it's kind of like Paul is saying, I'm begging you. I'm imploring you 
to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, right, uh, which is your regional form of service. I know there's a little more to it, but, you know, uh, whenever you want it and you want to recall it, it's easier to do out there than it is up here, right? Present your body as a living sacrifice, sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, all right? This cleansing, uh, that work that the Holy Spirit is beginning when we got saved continues throughout our Christian walk. But what happens is a lot of people is they say, well, I, I checked off, I got my ticket, I'm going to heaven. All I got to do is somehow do just enough to be able to get to heaven. But what they don't realize is that the work of the Holy Spirit must continue in our lives. But in order for the work of the Holy Spirit that he's doing, cleansing us to continue in our lives, we've got to continue to submit our flesh to God. We've got to continue to yield our thoughts, our ways, things that we learn throughout our life. We've got to learn how to yield it to God. We used to have a person that I used to know, a very cantankerous person. And uh, they, they said to me one time, they said, well, you know, and they would argue about everything, argue at the drop of a hat, you know, and they would defend themselves all the time. And they said, my mother taught me, this is what I need to do. Don't ever let anybody do that. And what I wanted to say, and I didn't say at the time, is what does your heavenly father teach? See, we're going by what we've been taught in the world, but we've got to learn how to go by what the Lord teaches us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? uh, This cleansing and purifying work of the Holy Spirit is apparently what is symbolized by the metaphor of fire when the John the Baptist says that Jesus will baptize people with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will gather the wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You can talk about, is that being the lost, or it can also be the, the rubble, the, the, the chaff that the Holy Spirit is constantly cutting off in our lives. I just bought a house. My wife and I just bought a house, and, and uh, the first thing we did is we had to tear everything down. We had to cut down so much stuff. Now, we didn't do it ourselves. We had it done, but chaff, chaff, all the, all the vines, all the, uh, the, the wayward vines, all the, uh, all the poison ivy, the poison oak, all the stuff you don't want was growing up in that yard that belonged to us. So we had to come in and we had to prune it. We had to cut it. We had to, and that's the work that happens not before we get saved. It's the work that happens after we get saved. Remember that metaphor I taught you about the, the person that's driving, right? You're driving a car. Your life is like a car, and your car is not running very well. In fact, your car is on the, it's on the point of self-destruction. That light, you put tape over the light. This is check engine, and, and it's now bleeding through. It's, it, wants to, it wants you to check the engine so bad you can't hide it anymore. And so you come to church because somebody tells you to come to church. And when you come to church, you get saved. And when you get saved, you know, you think, oh, everything's going to change. The problem is you go home, and after a couple of months, things don't change because the thing that you needed to do, you never did. You see, what happens is you think, oh, now I got saved. Jesus in my life, everything's going to go great. Wrong. It has the potential. But in order for it to go great in your life, you're going to have to learn how to let him drive. And when you let him drive, you're going to have to stop giving him directions right? He said, well, Lord, I know I said you could drive, but I, I don't think you know what you're doing. Lord, I know, I know I said you could drive, but you're making me uncomfortable. Lord, I know you said, uh, I said you could drive, but I don't want to go there. 
You see, the process of restoration doesn't end when you got saved. It begins when you got saved. When you got saved and you gave, you gave Jesus the keys to your car, you gave him permission, you gave him your life, and in doing that, you gave him permission to begin to work in your life. But here's the thing people don't realize. He will still only work to the extent that you allow him to. If you need an overhaul, and he tells you you need an overhaul, but you say no, you won't do it. Well, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. Yes, he can do whatever he wants. But he also uh, values our freedom. And he values our free will. He won't take things from you, but he will take them from you when you offer them to him. He doesn't make you and he doesn't force you. But he will bring you to a place where he will highlight things in your life that need to be done. And when you recognize these things need to be done and you give them to him, then he will gladly take them from you and give you something better in its place. But in order for that to happen, you have to submit to his word. You have to submit to his direction. You have to submit to his commandments. I don't like what he says. Your flesh doesn't like what he says. But if you do what he says, you will find, maybe not immediately, because in the immediate things, there's some things that have to be lopped off in your life. But if you would do what he says in the long run, you will become like that tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit and its season. Its leaves shall not wither, and whatever he doeth shall prosper. But in order for that tree to prosper, you've got to let him prune. And it hurts to be pruned. Sometimes I walk like this because I've been pruned this week. Matthew 3, 11 through 12. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So let's move to the second part. I was looking at instantaneous sanctification. I've been touching on it, but let's go back. Let's go into a little bit deeper progressive sanctification. After the initial break with sin that the Holy Spirit brings about in our lives at conversion, he also produces in us growth in holiness of life. Holiness, again, is another word for sanctification or purification. I feel like I got to stop here and just give you an illustration of my own life, okay? Some of y'all have heard this many times, but to be honest with you, this is the life that I live. And it's my testimony. And when I preach, I will give you my testimony. When I got saved, it took me three months to get saved. I heard the Word of God, heard the Word of God, heard the Word of God, finally accepted and embraced the Word of God. The whole time that I heard it didn't do me any good until I put my faith in it. You've got to mingle faith with the Word for it to be able to release the power that it contains within it. And I said, God, I want to be saved. Are you real? He said, yes, I got saved. All right? So then, like you, because was, <laughs> this, was, this was 1985, long time ago, all right, uh, 23, 30, 37 years ago. And, uh, and uh, I thought, okay, things are going to get better. And then over a couple of months, actually, I began to realize that I started getting angry. Angry. Everything made me angry, angry, angry. I was so upset, angry. And one day, thankfully, somebody had also said, you need to pray every day. So being the foolish man that I was, I actually did what they asked me to do. Some of y'all think it's foolish to do these things. 
but it's not. I prayed every day, read the Word of God every day, went to church every time the doors were open, read my Bible on a regular basis. I, I gave, I started giving, did what they asked me to do. I was praying about it. I said, God, I'm a Christian now. Things are supposed to get better, but things aren't getting better. They're getting worse. I'm angry now. I'm angry, and I never was angry before. The Lord spoke to me. He said, Rick, you've always been angry. Well, when the Holy Spirit talks to you, are you going to say, nah, that ain't God? Or are you going to say, oh, I never realized that? Because he went on to tell me, you just never acknowledged it. You hid it down inside. And so in your mind, you weren't angry, but you've always been angry. Well, why is the anger coming out? Because I want to remove it from your life. I want to help you to deal with this anger that's eating you up inside. And I want to remove it from your life. And so he was beginning that process. He's, see, I gave him permission to work on me. Now, I could have said, no, that ain't God. Or I could have said, no, I don't want to do that. But I want everything he has for me. And when you first get saved, it's a lot more painful as you go on later in life as you learn how to let things go to the Lord and give it to the Lord. It's a lot more painful because you've got big stuff that's got to be chopped off. All right? You give me just a little bit, and I'll go back and give you another illustration. Elijah, 1 Kings 17, God used Elijah to declare that there was going to be a famine in the land. And then he takes him to the brook Cherith. The brook Cherith means cutting and at the brook Cherith, what happens when we, when we first start to, to come into a relationship with God, start getting used by God, there has to be lots of cutting in our lives. It's kind of like uh, whenever uh, Michelangelo or, or um, who was the other great artist that did David? Was it Michelangelo that did David, the statue of David? Huh, da Vinci? Whenever he got, he got that, that block of wood, he saw David in the marble. He started cutting off big chunks, Right? That's the way. If you're going to work with wood, you try to get off as much of the big chunks as you can. And then, after he was done with uh, the brook Cherith, he went to Zarephath. He was at the Zarephath. And the word Zarephath means refining. Still cutting, but now it's little cutting because you've got to refine it. You've got to make it. You gotta, there's still a lot of cutting involved, but it's not the big, old, oh, there goes my arm. There goes my other arm. It's not like that. It's like, let's pull this little hair, this straggly hair right here. Let's, now when I, go to the, when I go to the barber, I said, check my ears. Never had to do that before. Just little, little things we still got to trim. We got to get out of the way. Why? Because they're, they're causing problems, right? So uh, the ability to make one's lifestyle more Christ-like is given through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Sanctification is a lifelong process daily appropriated through surrender submission to God and his word if you don't look at this as being the word of God you will not submit to it if you just think it's good literature literature doesn't have to be obeyed Jesus said in Matthew 7 whoever hears my word and does it that means obeys it, puts it into action. I will liken him to a man that builds his house upon the rock. 
Well, I'm going to rock. I'm going to rock. Why? Because I did this and I did that. But let's go on. Jesus said, to the one who hears my word and doesn't do it, I will liken him to a man that built his house upon the sand. Now, what's the difference between rock and sand? Did you know that sand is really little bitty pieces of rock? I'll obey this, but I won't obey this. I'll obey this, but I won't obey this. And guess who's in charge of your sanctification? Not the Holy Spirit, but you. And you know what? You're going to find that you're a lot more lenient to yourself than all those around you. Because most of the time, you're not the one that has the problem. It's the, pro it's the person you're talking with. It's the person you're dealing with. It's your coworkers. It's your husband. It's your wife. It's everybody but you. He said, how do you know that? I was the chief. You've got to learn how to make this the Word of God. And when the Word of God and the Holy Spirit is revealing something to you, submit to it. Submit to it. That's how you become what God's called you to be, by following His Word. The preacher, listen, I know we do the declaration, but my sermon is not the Word. This is the Word. I try as best as I can to make what I preach to be in agreement with this. But I'm not asking you to follow me. I'm asking you to follow this. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Christ is the Word made flesh. You don't have me everywhere you go, thank God. But you got this. Do you read it? Do you espouse it? Or do you say, oh, that's a good truth, but it's not for me, right? Or that's a good truth, but it's not my truth. Or, you know, that was, that was understandable back then, but we know now science has taught us differently. Sanctification is a lifelong process daily appropriated through surrender of your life to God. It is the privilege and responsibility of believers to live holy lives. Holiness is a characteristic of God and should mark the Christian walk. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I don't know why. I'm just going to go with it. But um, pornography, whoever's battling with it, whoever's struggling with it, Lord wants to set you free this morning wants to set you free there's no I'm not there's no condemnation just the Lord wants you to set wants to set you free he wants to free you from that lifestyle it's not godly it's not something that you want to bring out into the light it's not something that everybody around you you want them to know because you're hiding it in darkness why because it's not a fruit of the spirit it's not it's not godly and you know that something inside of you says it's not godly but the Lord's here to set you free he wants to set you free he who the sun sets free, just like Marty got delivered from cigarettes. By the way, if you're here, and that's a struggle in your life, there's no condemnation here. We all were lost. We all have things in our life that we're struggling with. Nobody in any way is here to, to point fingers at you. It's not that. I, I got set free from some things, and that was just a couple of years ago, and I've been in ministry for years and years and years. I mean, it's not, there's no condemnation. It's thank you, God, for giving me the opportunity to bring my stuff to you and for setting me free. And God wants to set some people free here this morning.
anger and wrath. The Lord wouldn't want to set you free from that. Well, I don't want anybody to know. Trust me, people probably already know. First <laughs> Peter 1, 15 through 16, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is a command, not a suggestion. But it also implies that believers are to choose to be holy. We continue to be free moral agents throughout the process of sanctification. Holiness does not mean sinless perfection or that at some point in our lives our fallen nature is eradicated. Sin and our fallen nature continue to be present with us in this life. That's why we have to continue to crucify the flesh. Yet God still wants a holy people, and the believer must deliberately decide to yield his life or her life to the Holy Spirit in order to be holy. Holiness of life is not how much we have of the Holy Spirit, but how much the Holy Spirit has of us. Pentecostals are famous for that. We come to the altar, we get saved, we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, we do a Holy Spirit jig, we go out in the power, whatever the case may be, but somehow or another from here to our car, we leaked out. It's all gone. I like what this statement is. Holiness is about is not how much we have of the Holy Spirit, but how much of the Holy Spirit has of us. Holy living is possible only as the believer experiences a moment-by-moment -moment yielding to the Holy Spirit. Sanctification comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. 2, Corinthians, 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. 1 Peter 1, 1 through 2, to Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Followers of Christ depend on the power and help of the Holy Spirit to produce Christ's life in us. He brings forth the fruit of the Spirit within us through qualities that reflect the character of God. Galatians 5, through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, my own personal opinion, I put a colon there. Most translations put a comma there. Because I believe there's only one fruit, and it's love. But it's manifested in these, all these different characteristics. Now, don't make me, uh, um, you know, uh, the, 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 uh, this is one way of, of uh, um, translating it because in the original documents, there was no punctuation marks, all right? So it can be either way. You can read it however you want, but this is the way I like to read it. The fruit of the Spirit is love. What does love look like? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Well, I got all of those. Self-control. <laughs> Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, 
envying one another. Once again, we should be reminded that this transformation comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. You could just stop right there. This is the will of What is the will of God? Your sanctification. <clears throat> I didn't want to hear that. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now you know who he's talking to? The church. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And so here's what people were saying. Well, that's what you think, but it's not. It's not. No, he said this is a command of God, not a command of Paul. This is God's will for your life, his holiness. Well, I'm going to another church. You can go to another church, but if they preach this in the other church, shouldn't be any difference. Now listen, uh, at the risk of alienating people. I've already done that, so I might as well keep on going, right? I've been a Christian for a long time, and I've been in churches for a long time. My particular bent has been Pentecostal churches, and, and it's been kind of a mixture of, of white and, and, and Hispanic. Most of the churches I go into, some, some African Americans in there, you know. But, you know, one of the things I've found in Pentecostal churches, there's a lot of sin in Pentecostal churches, We dance in the Spirit, sing in the Spirit, shout in the Spirit, a lot of sin. There's a lot of sin in African-American churches. I mean, we talk a good game. I, all churches, honest, we talk a good game. But the reality is so-and-so is sleeping with so-and-so, and they're doing this, and they're partying over there. There's a lot of sin in, in, in Hispanic churches. You know? Oh, we talk a good game, brother so-and-so, and deacon this and deacon that, you know, and here we are doing all this mess behind the scenes. So it doesn't matter where you're from. You're talking to the church. It, it's called sin. And it's not about just going to church. We want you to come to church. But the point of coming to church is to hear the Word of God. And the hearing the Word of God should help us to recognize where we're falling short, what we're doing right, and then submitting it to God so that God can do a work of cleansing in our lives, cleaning us and purifying us. I don't have this in there, but if we go to John chapter 15, did I step on anybody's toes? Give me some time. We'll get there. John 15, Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are, that word clean there is actually the same word pruned. Already you are pruned because of the word that I've spoken to you. So how does God prune you? Through the word. Through the word. That's what he does. Well, how does that word work in my life when you submit to it? Right? And what's God's desire? That you bear fruit. But you're not going to bear fruit if you don't let them prune you, clean you with the, with the word, the washing of water with the word. 
See, it's not about just coming to church. We want you to come to church. Don't stop coming to church. But coming to church is not the end all. It's the beginning. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. To be honest with you, many of us, if we didn't come to church, we'd never hear the Word of God because we don't read it. Man, I'm sure that was a little bit rough, wasn't I? Okay, anyway, let's go. 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed to the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Romans 8, 1 through 14. Long passes, but I think it's important that we read it. There is therefore now, and again, this is important for us, we're not trying to get into condemnation, but there is conviction. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, if you're walking according to the Spirit, you're going to have the a transformed life. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. If I may interject here, you can be saved, Spirit-filled, but still live according to the flesh. But God wants you to set your minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. He's talking to the church, by the way. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. He said, well, we're not under law, we're under grace. Let's put another word in there. It does not submit to God's word, his instruction, his teaching. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So what's he saying there? He said, in order to be a Christian, you've got to be born again, and the way that you know that you're a Christian is because the Spirit of God lives inside of you. If the Spirit of God doesn't live inside of you, you're not a Christian. Well, I go to church. If you're not born again, you're not a Christian. I'm on the membership roll. I went through the classes. If you're not born again... You're not a Christian because what makes you a Christian is not coming to church, going through the classes. It's not faithful attendance. It's that you've been born again and the spirit of the living God dwells within you. That's what makes you a Christian. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. He's talking to Christians. Well, I want to be a Christian. I want to make sure that when I die, I go to heaven. But I like to have fun, too. You see, you've allowed the enemy to convince you that the works of the flesh are fun. We're not saying that there's not some pleasure in the works of the flesh. But if you were to, uh, are we all adult, all the adults are here or are the kids back? Okay, we'll just move on. Huh? You can have fun in the Lord. And actually, when you have fun in the Lord, there's no, um, there's no, there's no remorse, right? If you uh, uh, gratify your lusts, 
by, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, moving into adultery or sexual immorality, you know, there's a little bit of pleasure in that for a season, but then you get caught. You get an STD. You get AIDS. You lose your marriage. You lose your kids. Devil don't tell you that. You hear what I'm saying? He don't tell you that. Oh, God don't want you to have fun. No, God wants you to have fun. Enjoy marriage. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy your husband. But do it in the context of a covenant relationship. And there's no remorse. So then, brothers... We are debtors not to the flesh, but to live according to the, uh, to the flesh. But for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Mature sons of God is really the context there. Thus, in this way, we see that it is by the Spirit that we are able to put to death the deeds of the body and grow in personal holiness. Philippians 1, 19 through 20, and I'm, I'm at the end. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will, not, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager, eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So in conclusion, one of the primary activities of the Holy Spirit is to cleanse us from sin and to sanctify us or make us more holy in actual conduct of life. Sanctification is the fancy word for purification. It literally means to be set apart. We're set apart from the world and set apart to God. Sanctification is both instantaneous and progressive. When people become Christians, the Holy Spirit does an initial cleansing work in them, making a decisive break with the patterns of sin that were in their lives before. After the initial break with sin that the Holy brings about, that the Holy Spirit brings about in our lives at conversion, He also produces in us growth and holiness of life. The ability to make one's lifestyle more Christ-like is given through the indwelling power of the Spirit. Sanctification, again, is a lifelong process daily appropriated through surrender of life to God. As I read before, it's not about how much the Holy Spirit you have, but how much the Holy Spirit has of you. It is the privilege and responsibility of all believers to live holy lives. Holiness is a characteristic of God and should mark the Christian walk as well. I'm done, but I was reminded of one illustration that was, uh, that was uh, particularly enlightening to me when I had gotten saved and I was trying to live for God. Unfortunately, I'd become a little bit religious as well. <laughs> but, you know, that's just, uh, you, you, you're learning how to navigate the Christian life and, you know, got into legalism and the Lord brought me out of that. And we're so thankful. Just... There's just kind of, sometimes you want to just walk straight, but a lot of times it's like, it's like bumper cars. You're going boom, 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 you know, until you narrow it out and start living a little bit better life. But I remember um, we were having a, a, a gathering at my house, and, and one of our relatives, we won't say who it was, was a, a Christian, and he was witnessing to somebody for Christ while he was getting drunk on a 12-pack. And something inside of me said, that ain't right. <laughs> it ain't right. I'm glad you're trying to talk about the Lord. Looking back on it, I wasn't so much then. I was just angry. I didn't know how to handle it, but I'm just angry. But now I began to realize, that's a good thing you want to talk about Christ, but your life has to match up with your walk. And we know that it's a process. We know that you're growing in that. But the reality is there are some things that you got to lop off right away. We know. We know. 
Christianity, adultery. Christianity, pornography. Christianity, drunkenness. Christianity, wrath. They don't match up. Pretty quick. We should know that. Well, God knows. A lot of people say, well, God knows who I'm at. And, uh, you know, he just, he, he just overlooks it. Well, he doesn't overlook it. We overlook it. Right? Because, like I say, we're real quick to judge in other people, but we're not real quick to judge ourselves. Right? And the Lord, as I said before, is not a God of condemnation. He's a God of conviction, but he's also a God of mercy, and he's a God of grace. You know what grace is? The power of God that allows us and gives us the ability to overcome. I can't overcome this on my own. You need grace. How do I access grace? By faith. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God made available to the salvation of those who believe. What do I have to do? I have to believe. One day the Lord spoke to Marty. He believed, and in a moment... The Lord delivered him from cigarettes. Now, will God do that for me? Uh, I'm hoping and praying for, but it might take a little bit longer. There might be a little bit more of a struggle, but God that delivered him will deliver you as well. He's faithful. Amen? First thing is got to recognize I've got some things in my life that the Lord needs to deal with. And I, need, and I know I used to think that if I didn't talk about it or mention it, he wouldn't know. Yeah. Can I tell you something? He knows. It's funny how we live, right? It's kind of like if I put my head in the sand, there's no problem. No, the problem's still there, right? The only one that's not looking at it is you, but everybody around you knows. But the Lord's good. He doesn't highlight things to condemn you. He highlights things to free you. If you will recognize and hear his voice and recognize that he's looking at you and saying, would you give that to me? I want to give you something in exchange, you give me your wrath, I want to give you my joy. Give me your unforgiveness, and I will give you my peace. Give me your impurity, and I will give you my holiness. This is how he works. Amen?